Welcome to the Better Future podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is... Kirsten Mann. I'm Global VP of Product Experience for Oracle's Construction and Engineering Global Business Unit. This podcast series is a special series where we focus on design in the boardroom. It's a series of infield recordings and live panels with design giants from around the world, and we discuss how boards are leveraging design to accelerate economic outcomes. In other words, how is design being managed up, down, and across the organisation? In this episode, Mark and Bill talk boards and office interiors. They dig into how office spaces are becoming more flexible on demand and moving from building site remodelling into addressing flexible spaces with new elements. Boards are looking at ways to reduce time to conversion, sustainability and leveraging their space assets to produce high returns. I'm Bill Dowser and I'm a principal of BVN, um, Australian architectural firm, but I've been here in New York setting up our New York studio. So, Bill, we've got this amb- uh, the active ambient environment, which is so New York, isn't it? Yep, yep. I mean, having, I mean, basically, you know, culture of congestion, you end up in, in any tight space and you work in any environment. So you've been here for a number of years. You've also moved around a series of co-working spaces so that you can understand the the taxonomy of them, the experience that's in there. Um, How many more co-working spaces are you going to move through before you'll say we think we've experienced the, you know, what's enough knowledge? Um, I don't think you ever stop. And I think what's been interesting is we started, I mean, trying to understand the whole flexible leasing market and the whole co-working market as a, as a sort of fairly fundamental shift, um, I think, in, in the provision of, 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 of space. So space as a service rather than, than, than just a container to inhabit. But I think what's been interesting is that we, we regularly go and work in other places as well. So, you know, the, the new hotel, boutique hotel lobbies, they're full in New York of people working and, and they're, not, they're not staying in the hotel. And that's kind of was kicked off with Ace Hotel. It was you know, one of the, the leaders which said, come in and for a cup of coffee you can actually populate the, cafe, uh, populate the foyer. Well, the Ace, Ace in Nomad is, is jam-packed with people every day and they're literally sitting on top of each other um, in non-ergonomic positions. Um, but it, but it's about that that space. But there's some other terrific third spaces now that are developing. There's a there's this place in uh, um, just near here, which is the Cadillac showroom, and it's um, it Cadillac House, and it has literally you might find a car somewhere in the space, but it is actually given over to the public as a public space, and people work in there all day too. Yeah, and that's really interesting because that neighbourhood is now being picked up by Google and they're going to move in there with a massive square footage, uh, you know, tenancy that they're putting in there. So it's definitely changing its face. So I want to go in and actually have a, a bit of a conversation about the reason why you're trying to understand the co-working space, the, the short-term leasing, business hotels. Like it hasn't really come up with a solid name yet, the category. Uh, but why are you trying to understand that? And my take would be that you see that your traditional clients and future clients are going to need that intelligence. Is that a reasonable call? Yes. And I think I think we're going through a huge transition in in building ownership and, and the and and the whole leasing market. So I think that, that for us is the future of 
you know, it, it's fairly fundamental even for us as an architectural practice is actually thinking about where will our where will the client change come from? And I think this is what we're seeing is this whole the whole idea of a serviced environment that is provided, and it's a mixed use environment ultimately. Um, it's it's sort of transitioning who traditionally owned the buildings are changing. And I know with uh, you know different over decades of leases that I'd taken in buildings, I I found it maddening for relatively small square meterage spaces. I was getting a contract that was 80, 90 pages and again, the friction in this environment was huge. So it's great to go see that that innovation's come in. But as an architectural firm, you're being asked by people to help to go build these sorts of places and you're also being asked to go build them for people who are wanting to have an equivalent but not necessarily a co-working space. And I, So I'm, I'm fascinated that you've taken the time to go and actually understand the market so that I'd imagine when you're pitching to boards and when you're reporting to those executive clients that they realise it comes with detailed knowledge and that you're able to actually say, well, we went and actually experienced it for a period of time because it would be hard to put dimensionality behind that understanding. So you're being able to demonstrate to them through exposure and you know dwell time in the spaces. You've probably picked up some insights, but it'd be very hard to go give them a spreadsheet that says, here's a number that says what that knowledge is worth. No, I mean, it, 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 the experiential side of it has been invaluable because it's actually allowed us, I mean, it allows us to talk credibly, but also we put ourselves into the startup position as well. So that, you know, going from, having come from a, a large team within, within our Australian offices of 150 people and a very serviced environment in itself, to putting yourself in a room with four of your colleagues um, trying to get, get a business off the ground, it actually, you're going into that environment to understand what the needs are of those people and then, the growth of those organisations, where they go to and what are the natural progressions. So Bill, I know that there's a, a new state college in um, in Brisbane that, uh, that the practice has won through the Australian office. Do you then take some of the learnings that you've got here from a flexible, adaptive workspaces to bring that into that new campus? Because I'd imagine the students that are coming through it need to be comfortable in working in these spaces and it's probably good that they get that experience when they're going through their course. And I think it's the reverse, is that the work environment is actually very much part of a learning environment now. So I think that there's there's crossover in both ways because a learning, I mean, in terms of any space that actually helps you accelerate learning um, is valuable to any organisation in a whole life scale. So I think that what's been one of the really big things for us is actually understanding different sectors and then translating pieces of that into other sectors all the time so what we 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 talk about it being translational um and this is you know i know when i go into these conversations with design experts most of the time i have no idea what we're going to uncover and we've just hit an absolute gem which is the insight that for learning organizations highly adaptive organizations they're actually becoming more like college campuses yep than than structured workplaces because we need to have that flexibility, the adaptability that's in there. 
which is the first time I've heard it expressed that way. So you've been able to go and just in a nutshell go and say what's the change changing in that workplace. I see with a lot of tech companies that they actually are starting to commission what are what are being coined as high performance workplaces. And, uh, and that's really interesting because there was a project that uh, came through the Chicago Awards, which was a Morningstar project. And basically, uh, it was Morningstar and they commissioned Gensler to go do it. And the, and the, the insight was, if this project helps the engineers to be more effective, there'll be a billion dollars on the Morningstar valuation and that was the objective. So so you're getting into sporting code type scenarios there, which is we're going to uh, new specialist coaches, new specialist training facility so that we win the premiership, win the championship, win the medal, whatever it is. And so that idea that that's actually, that's one way of actually thinking that you can put a dimension about we want to win, but to... Uh, say we want to bring in a change culture which is actually about learning so maybe we need to have flexible learning environments for people to feel that they can actually do things which aren't the way it has always been done is a really interesting insight yep and that's where i've been been lucky before i mean in in australia we we worked on because we have to be generalists the market's smaller so so i've worked on you know come from an urban design background working on the Olymp- sydney olympics originally then working on workplace projects which was completely the opposite um, with a fantastic client at that moment in time who put us on a plane to Europe to see the most interesting things that were happening and that that thirst for that curiosity about how people use spaces has just kept going in whatever sector but the, the, the learning sector has been quite interesting in terms of where where teaching spaces have gone and also in schools the idea that, you know, maybe it's stage, not age. Maybe a classroom is a defunct mechanism now. And, and how do you provide environments that are actually uplifting to people to learn in? Um, and then how does that then translate into the workplace? So what, what I'm finding interesting with this is you're, you're building insights which will then be useful to building commissioners. You then need to be able to go package that up in something that's digestible for them as telegraphing the headlines of BVN knows stuff that you don't know, but we're not going to tell you all of it in the first presentation because otherwise you won't engage us. That's an interesting pursuit, which is how do you actually signal that you've got the, the good juice but not give it all away in, in that process? So... How do you how do you manage that? That 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 is the fundamental challenge, um, in terms of how you. I mean, we we, we, we have, to be honest, we have difficulty. You have difficulty in some ways um, articulating all of that until you've actually started working and engaging with someone, and then you can get into it in a depth that that you couldn't get into in necessarily a a pitch or a presentation. But I think what we always try to do and this is this has actually been a fundamental thing for the practice is is the idea of of getting people who haven't had that experience in the sector working on projects because they will ask more questions so we don't want to do what we did yesterday so you've got to keep pushing and keep pushing each project type and and you find then that it can go that much further in terms of the opportunity so it's what we tend to do is is try and focus on the journey as the design process and the journey actually offers a lot more 
um, than just providing a solution. Now, I've been speaking with some of your contemporaries in the market in this series, and uh, an interesting insight that came from one of them was they, they didn't understand how, how fast commercial tenancies and fit-outs change over. And when we, so I remember it was uh, with Unispace, and we were having, having a chat. When I said, oh, well, I've been told by the big letting companies that it's about every two years is what they expect is uh, the changeover of their tenancies. And there was a look of shock. And then we said, well, let's go into how you're working with your clients. And we came out, it's about every two years. So that came down to some of the questions then about, well, do you go and bring in a evolution and an upgrading of, of the space? Or the high, the high tech companies are actually saying, look, we're growing at such a rate that we won't actually go fix up this one. We'll just carry the learnings forward. What are you finding with you know the spaces that you've built? Are they round for 15 years so that you can actually have the 10-year medal for this was an awesome space, or are they well and truly gone before you know they could ever have some of that longevity behind it? Well, it's really interesting. So, so interesting. I've got two examples. The first one is the project that was the first, that first project that we that I just talked about. Then, where we worked with um, MLC, we did, we worked on a project called Campus MLC um, with Rosemary Kirkby, who is probably one of the most interesting clients that we've we've ever had, and one of the most um, uh, in terms of the way that she pushed us to think about the people. She repositioned the project. She, was the, she wasn't the facilities manager. She was actually the people manager of the organisation and turned it into a people project, which we didn't even understand what that meant at the time. But it was a, a fundamental education for us that has actually served us well for the last 15 years. That project um, was revamped by another architect about five or six years ago. Um, by, by Woods Baggett, but it essentially is still the same. So, so the bones of the project have actually stood for now close to 20 years. And that's really interesting that you've reflected there about that people project. Mm. When I began the awards, I, I knew that we were doing something which was about giving recognition, but I actually found out that there was a higher need for giving recognition in the HR people talent part of the market than there was in the marketing department and and so uh, we we went through a change in our own position of saying we're actually about helping to give you know it's the retention of clients it's also the retention of of talent and then by the people showing respect and project pride they attract more clients and they also attract more talent because everyone wants to be recognized the power in talking about something from the people perspective rather than the facilities management or rather than the marketing and branding, there are these hidden opportunities all over the place. So I'm interested to hear that you've had a project which actually started off, it's had a bit of a refresh, an upgrade that's in there, but fundamentally the journey that you began is, is still in place. So the space that we're in now... I'm looking at it, I'm going, if this is the same in three years' time, I'll be really surprised. Yeah, and this, this is actually something we've been talking about, this idea of living architecture, which is that that rather than thinking about a, a workplace as a set and... Like, you know, we just deliver it and we walk away, 
is we're far more interested now in treating it like a piece of software. It gets updates. So you've got to actually reposition the idea of it's got to be calibrated. You've got to use the data. You've got to use all of the things to, to, to keep it evolving and keep it live and, and update it and refresh it so that people are actually, it, it works for people. So how do you help a board know when it's time for them to go and actually do that refresh? Is it that they're approaching you to say, Bill, can you come back in with the team and can you do something for us? Or are you actively helping them to maintain the understanding and the performance of the space that they're working in? It's traditionally been the former but we're moving to the to, to the latter so so we we are got, we are trying to evolve ourselves to be able to be providers that actually it's a long-term relationship not necessarily a project by project relationship and that expedition side of we're saying that you know it's almost like a the a legal practice doesn't come in on brief by brief no. They need to understand the IP of the organisation, they need to understand the culture, the deal flow. I'm seeing that coming in a lot more in the way that the that the spaces of companies work. Also with their areas like, um, if you look at the RGA relationship with Nike, where they go to, you know, the, there's this thousand person machine which is trying to go help Nike just stay on top. They'd lose so much momentum if they didn't have that idea of a constant partnership that was there. Mm. And so that's great to hear that that's something that you're getting into because partnerships I, are the key. I see us. so many practices that actually go through boom bust cycle, boom bust cycle, boom bust cycle, and then you're saying, hey, is there any reason that you don't actually work on an ongoing basis? And uh, it's almost like it's a revelation that maybe you need to have a permanent relationship. And it's great to hear that you're taking that position. It's interesting. I do think culturally. In Australia, we tend to do project to project, and and there isn't as much loyalty in, in in that relationship. I think that's changing, but in the US, I've found because of the scale, you actually have to have these partnerships because you can't keep reinventing the wheel because there's too many projects. Or so so it has been a an interesting thing to to explore from a cultural perspective between the two markets. So if I go look at two other practices that I see here in New York that came from um, minor markets and are now actually in a major market. I, I think of somewhere like the Bark Eagles Group and also Snurheader. What's the trajectory for yourselves? Does this actually become, does New York become a major play for you, you know, in concert with what's happening in the Australian market? Or is it that it actually becomes a satellite from, this, uh, from the Australian market? What do you think is the, the trajectory that you're likely to go on? I mean, we, 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 it, it's been very much an exploration, really. The, the three to four years have been a, an investment in an exploration to, to understand a different, a different marketplace. One of the, the big things for us strategically is, from a people aspect internally for our business, is, is that there's actually somewhere for our, our employees to come and, and stay involved in our organisation, but we've got other opportunities to offer people. So we've been circulating a lot of our own people through, through the New York office so that everybody gets an experience of working in a different place and understands this marketplace. The other thing is you can recruit anyone from Australia to come to New York, which is actually a great a great, um, a really good thing because, you know, we end up with some really great people working with us um, 
and 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 that's really helped us here. But you know, obviously, we we do want to grow. Um, we actually want this to stand on its own two feet, um, but it but it very much at the moment has been a satellite of the Australian business, um, and what we're now seeing is 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 almost using it as a pilot for how we, it's it's really actually allowed us to sort of pilot the way we would go into new markets and the way that we start to sort of evolve our services and then we go back into the australian market and and bring that learning back into back into the australian offerings yeah because i suppose there's new york new york's a fantastic you know um, statement city yep I know a lot of people who have their office here, but they actually do a lot of work out of this city. It's a very complex city to work in the built in the built environment. We are working everywhere across the country. Where we are working, we have projects in. We have a lot of projects in Canada at the moment. Canada, we've we've had a lot of. Um, it's actually actually how we started, is that a Canadian f- law firm. Um, were in were in Sydney, saw a project of ours, realised that it was very different to a North American model. We got commissioned to do a national strategy, um, and and interestingly, out of that, so this goes to the the idea of why you do this. I remember presenting to the the, the senior leadership team, and once the the comment was made, we've been sold this project change on on space savings, and it was all about you know we're going to reduce you by twenty five percent and all of that sort of stuff, um, and. What we were talking about was the importance of connection and bringing the team together, and and that changed the whole discussion about about the value of what the project was bringing to the business, and how unifying people and getting lawyers to start talking to each other and and pulling the whole organisation together, which far outweighs the the twenty five percent saving in terms of what you can get in the knock on effect. So. If I was trying to go and summarise that, your competitors were coming up with a rational proposition and maybe even they were briefed that way. And then you've come in with the non-rational proposition and they've seen the non-rational, which is about the people, is going to be of greater leverage to us than just the rationality of a 25% saving because businesses grow because people are excited that you've done a non-rational proposition which has then actually been understood but I, I see a lot of boards who struggle to find people that will have that non-rational proposition with them because if we go through you know the accountancy side it's very rational that's in there if you go through engineering it's very rational that's in there and the areas where they're getting the greatest lift is actually a proposition which actually changes people's understanding either of working at the organisation or changes their understanding of what it means to go and be a customer and the offerings that they have to the market. So that's a brave move that you did. It's paid off for you, but it's probably in your DNA from everything I understand. Hmm. Hmm. How do you get people to understand that that's actually what you can do for them in a new market because generally when you go out to pitch and you go out to introduce yourself it's actually quite a rational process you know it's like we'd like to introduce who we are and how do you get them to understand that actually maybe difference is in here and a different concept and different way of thinking firstly i think it's actually if we can show that we're interested in their business you know what what their organization is or what the you know, what what is you know what is important to them 
then then we can build some empathy. Yeah, there's some empathy built and some some trust starts to get built with us that oh these they they're not just the black skivvy wearing design team that's going to come in and tell us what we should do aesthetically. What we actually want to do is is how do you use space to enhance the brand? And that's one of the, that's a really big one. I you know I've seen organisations be repositioned by their their own their own headquarters or their own space in terms of uh, and then again another conservative law firm in Vancouver we ended up working for um, they moved from a traditional office into a an old department store with the two tenants were Sony and Microsoft and and we did a completely different work environment for them and and the firm has actually had such uplift from the fact of their repositioning as now as a contemporary firm so so space the way the personality of the organisation and how that reflects brand, I think, is really important in the message that you're actually giving to people as well. So I suppose the opportunity for you is that boards get to understand that there's a different way and then making sure that's reflected in your online presence, in the discussions that you hold in industry forums, that there's just that consistent messaging which is, we've got a different proposition. And then at some point, that's going to align with people who have that need. And as happened in Canada, that magic moment occurs where people say, we like actually, you're going to take us somewhere different. And then you wind up actually seeing this the office here take off at a, at a massive rate. It sounds like you're well and truly match ready to, for that to happen. Oh, we are. But I, and it's interesting, we're some, in some circumstances we're seen as a risk because we're not as linear and we're not we're not the traditional so we we always it is interesting we we you know, there are there are the right clients who are ready to go on that journey and and you know yes it's risky but maybe the risk is actually not going on that journey is what we tend to talk about and and so this is this has come up in several discussions uh, around the idea about that you might be risky because you're different or how do i convince the person about the about the proposition that i've got and I've always had a, a belief that business is a bit like teenage dating. If the person thinks you're ugly on first look, don't invest on that date. If, <laughs> if, if they're giving you a message which is you've got to convince me, yep. they're probably not the right client. But if you have a very simple proposition that they can understand, you've got a certain sort of swagger, you're going to bump into the person who actually wants to go on a date with you. Mm. And then they're going to say, of course we want to see where this goes. And of course we want something that's not the same. That's why we're coming to you. Mm. And I see too many people try to go and actually say, but we're different, but they try to actually position themselves as also being the same. Sometimes you've just got to be brave to go and actually say, no, we are different. And I, I really like the team at Pentagram. You know, mm. Pentagram actually say, we're Pentagram. We're not the others. We're pentagram. There's a confidence there. That difference in proposition is evident. Mm. It's consistent. And they have a great presence because they actually believe and are able to articulate how they're different. And their clients love the pentagram difference. Hopefully that translates for yourselves very quickly here in the New York market. It does. And I think one of the other things for us, and this is something that we're really looking at, is, is how do you product you know we've come from bespoke bespoke world of one-offs now how do you productize some of this expertise and that's a that's been a really interesting thing in in the new economy businesses like the 
like Convene, who we're working with here um, in, in this space, is, is how we, we, we work with high growth clients and, and start to sort of productize some of these things, these offerings. And, and thinking differently about the way that you get things built. How do you design for manufacture rather than de and design for installation rather than the labor intensive construction methods. So we're, we're really, we are really thinking about the whole of cycle delivery of projects and how you reposition that um, so that, that it's a far more effective, time effective, high quality design, but, but you've actually designed for manufacture so you can actually deliver in a much shorter time and get more cost certainty. And, what, and, and that theme has been coming up. I, I actually think a lot of people who are doing in, interiors and commercial spaces are going to be heading more into being scenery companies because they're dressing a space that probably is impermanent because yes. that's the sort of time frame that we're in and and you go now that's a, a completely different proposition where you can start to say well the space that you're in on a weekend we could come in because it was put in as a temporary installation a pop-up installation yep we can actually go and redress the space for you in a very short period of time, which means that there's no interruption to business. You know, the zero day move in, but it's a zero day changeover. And those sorts of moments become then magic. Let's see where it takes us. That's great. I agree with that in terms of then that's why we're investing in the idea of wall systems and, and technologies as well to be able to do that. So, you know, where robotics comes in, where AI comes in, where all of the, the other element other systems or technologies now can actually completely change or start to change the way that we we deliver bill it's been such a treat to go have a half hour of your time to go and actually capture where you're up to now where the difference is what you're working on no doubt this is going to be one of a couple of conversations that we'll have and uh, i look forward to seeing where you are the next time we catch up thank you for your time that's been great mark thank you really appreciate it